You are listening to You Should Write a Book with Camille Pagan. I'm Camille, the best-selling author of 10 books, a master certified coach, and the founder of Even Better Co. Each week, I share ideas about creating an even better author career. Ready to reach your writing goals? Let's dive in. Hello, writers. I mentioned recently that I was going to cover imposter syndrome on the podcast, and we're going to do that today. I want to let you know that this is such a big, loaded topic that I should probably do a workshop on it in the future because it requires a deep dive. In fact, there's even going to be a part two to this podcast, so stay tuned next week for more. But for our purposes today, we're going to talk about how imposter syndrome can impact your work and what you can start doing about it right now to prevent it from coming between you and your goals. And let's face it, between you and feeling good. Because a lot of people succeed in spite of feeling imposter syndrome. They just happen to feel lousy the whole way. I don't think that that's the goal for us. We go for something. We try to accomplish something because we believe it will make us feel better. And from my point of view, I think that we go for goals to become better versions of ourselves as we work toward them and to mostly enjoy the ride. Either way, I don't think the aim here is to spend the whole process with the sense that you don't belong in the room, you don't deserve it, and or you're a fraud. And that's really what imposter syndrome is. It's the inability to believe you deserve your success or that said success is legit. Now, this is really important before we go any deeper. Imposter syndrome is not a recognized psychiatric disorder, nor is it a disease. It's a term that was coined by two women psychologists in 1978, one of whom went on to write a pretty famous book about it called The Imposter Phenomenon in 1985. They were really speaking directly to women. Since then, it's become a part of the vernacular and extends beyond women to lots of different groups. Another important note, research to this day is really divided on who is most impacted by imposter syndrome and why. In large literature reviews, so hundreds of studies on this topic, there is approximately between 10 and 80% of people experiencing this at any given time in professional settings. So those numbers vary pretty widely. Some studies, but not all, suggest that it becomes less common as you get older. That kind of makes sense. It does seem to be more prevalent in people with anxiety disorders and clinical depression. And some studies show that it's far more common for women and individuals of color. Now, to me, that's not surprising, given just societal forces saying, you know, who belongs where. But other studies show, and this is surprising to me, that it impacts men and women equally and that it's relatively equal across other factors such as race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status. And some psychologists and social scientists even argue that the entire term is problematic because it turns what is a societal problem into an individual one. For example, a much shared 2021 Harvard Business Review article called Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome argues that the term itself implies that women are suffering from a crisis of self-confidence, I'm quoting here, and that it fails to recognize the real obstacles facing professional women, especially women of color. Essentially, that it reframes systemic inequality as an individual pathology, right? I think that that is a very nuanced and legitimate point of view. But here's what I know, and here's what I'm going to discuss today. 
Whether or not we feel that this term is all right or not all right, who it applies to, as someone who's worked with hundreds of writers now, what I will tell you is that the vast majority of them use or have used this term to describe how they sometimes, and in some cases often, feel as writers. And I'm not just talking about unpublished writers here. Plenty of published authors that I've worked with and within circles that I'm a part of also feel like they're faking it, that they're going to be found out as talentless hacks, that they haven't worked hard enough to justify what they're getting, or that other people think of them as someone who just doesn't deserve to be in publishing. So that's why I'm using that term. I hear it all the time. Why is this a problem if it's so universal? Well, for starters, research shows that feelings linked to imposter syndrome, right, the feeling itself and the other things that come up, can contribute to exacerbated anxiety and depression. Imposter syndrome also leads to less risk-taking in your career, and it leads to career burnout. It really ups the odds of experiencing true clinical burnout. It's not an efficient way to work, basically, and it's going to keep you from trying new things that might lead to really amazing breakthroughs. Whether it's connecting with an author who's more experienced than you, to writing a book you're not sure you can pull off, to having the courage to tell your cover designer that actually the design they just offered you is subpar and you need them to go back to the drawing board. If you feel like, oh, I don't really deserve this, I don't belong here, you're not going to take the same actions or speak up the same way. There was a really fascinating take on this in The New Yorker from early last year. The author explains that imposter syndrome essentially becomes a vicious cycle because we perceive incorrectly that it helps us work better, so we keep doing it. You have this sense of impending failure that inspires frenzied hard work in the short term. You're like, oh, I'm not going to pull this off. I better really like, you know, dig down and get the work done. And you get the short-lived gratification because you've managed to skirt failure. Maybe you turned your book in on time. You got the thing done. But the minute that you finish the work, you immediately go back to feeling like failure's imminent, right? Oh, I did it, but this is going to go very badly. Interestingly, the author also points out something that I've mentioned here before, which is backed by research. Lots of people, and research shows that the more ambitious you are, the more prevalent this is, um, who have imposter syndrome have a sort of magical thinking around it in which they believe deep down that expecting success means they're setting themselves up for failure. So they think it's better to just assume they'll fail anyways, right? You're, you're thinking like, oh, the failure is going to serve me because if I expect to succeed, it's all going to go terribly, waiting for the other shoe to drop phenomenon. So in effect, they think in a pattern that keeps them feeling like an imposter. Listen to episode 54 of this podcast if you haven't already. I talk a lot about this. Can imposter syndrome have an upside? Yeah, in the short term. Acknowledging you don't know everything can open you up to new learning opportunities. But I'm going to argue that you don't need to have imposter syndrome in order to be open to growth. So let's just not do that. I personally used to have imposter syndrome and I don't anymore, by and large. And I'll tell you more about this later. It can resurface, but at this moment in time, I can speak to hundreds or even thousands of people, whether they're my colleagues or strangers. And while I might be nervous, I don't think I don't have a right to be here. I don't hesitate to offer an opinion. At another time in my career, I might have thought, oh my gosh, 
offering my point of view means I have such a big head. People are going to think awful things about me. And this is very much a product of a blue collar, keep your head down upbringing in which my family and probably yours too, I hear this a lot, they valued hard work over everything else. And don't you dare take credit for the thing. Now, years of coaching and therapy later, years of doing this and working with other authors, which is so helpful. I know that people will think things about me no matter what I do or don't do. I also know there's a huge difference between feeling like you have a right to take up space, to have a voice, and having an ego. And I'll discuss that at length here. I want for you to just not walk into a room and think you don't belong there. And the reason for this is you're going to have a lot more opportunities. You're going to seize a lot more opportunities if you're not in your head questioning whether or not you belong. I want to tell you how this showed up for me just last week. So I got an invitation to be a part of a high-level mastermind that's only for authors who have published a certain number of books and fit certain criteria. I'm going to tell you the truth. When I got this email, the first thing I thought was, ooh, maybe I'm on this list on accident. And I just kind of caught myself and was like, no, you're getting this on purpose. And there were just a small number of spaces in this mastermind. And it was first come, first served, as these things often are. You all, I hit that buy button so fast, it's a miracle I did not sprain my finger. And I got a spot, and I am so excited to go learn from some amazing authors. And all of that happened because I didn't sit there and debate while the mastermind filled up. Do I belong here? Do I have a right? No, I just did it. I have so many other stories I could share about myself, about my clients. But for now, let's just talk about how to get over this. If you have imposter syndrome, or you notice it showing up in certain areas, right? It may surface in some places and not others. That's totally normal. Let's talk about how to get over it. I'm going to share what I have personally found to work for myself and my clients. And in most of these cases, what research tells us about imposter syndrome and how to get over it. The big caveat here is this is not the end-all, be-all fix to solve all imposter syndrome. You're going to have to commit to doing the work and try different things and see what works for you. All I want you to do is open your mind to some of the things that I'm going to suggest here. I have a what I call a 5C framework for going through it. So the C's are contribute, community, create, give yourself credit, and confidence, particularly self-confidence. I'm going to walk you through it. So first, give yourself permission to contribute. I learned this idea from Denise Duffield Thomas a million years ago. She said, and I'm going to paraphrase here, a lot of times we don't take up space because we think others are expecting us to be a guru or the ultimate source or solution. And when we give ourselves permission to just contribute to the conversation, everything changes. We just have a different energy. We are not expecting ourselves to be perfect. And we do, in fact, contribute more. This is what I do as a coach, right? I'm not doing what Jane Friedman does, what Josh Burnoff does, Sky Warren, Chandler Bolt, the M Writing Podcast. By the way, those are all resources I love and recommend. I'm not naming anyone here that I don't actually follow. I don't have to know everything that those folks know in order to do this podcast and put out my email to authors. So just do a quick check-in with yourself. Do you feel like an imposter because you have what is in effect a thought error about having to be the best or the one? Do you think, for example, that you can only talk about your books if you've sold a certain amount or accomplished some other external thing? 
If so, recognize that and commit to letting it go. Next, I want you to seek out a community of writers. Research shows something really fascinating. Women in particular, and again, that's who the original concept of imposter syndrome was focused on, what it was created for. Women are often able to move past imposter syndrome by being among other women in group settings. Basically, in conversation, you see that, oh, these women who are like me aren't imposters. Maybe I'm not either. And if you hear them saying that they are, whether it's using that exact term or other things that just suggest, I don't deserve this, I'm not enough, you can see that they have this belief that however rooted in societal influence is not factual, you can reject it for yourself too. You reject it for them and then you're like, oh yeah, I also don't have to believe that. Interestingly, the two psychologists who coined the term imposter syndrome, Clance and Imes, they experienced this while working together. By doing the work as two women, they have spoken about how they overcame imposter syndrome by sharing experiences together. I mentioned this in last week's podcast, but this is one of the reasons I run a group mastermind for writers. And it's really one of the biggest benefits of that group. You see yourself and your misbeliefs, as well as better beliefs, reflected in other people. Saying it out loud, hearing it, sharing with other people, it's a really great way to get clear on what's really going on in your head and to choose better thoughts. The third C is to create. I'm going to be really frank with you. One of the ways that you overcome imposter syndrome is by doing the thing. You may not feel like you belong in a room full of novelists until you finished your first draft. To use my example from earlier, I wasn't going to apply to that mastermind if it said, you know, five published books and I had only done three. But then, and this is really the key, you go focus on creating epic stuff if you catch my drift. Go do the thing. Go create. In addition to actually putting in the work, and we'll talk about taking credit for that in just a minute, but there is another benefit to this. When you put in the reps, you write page after page, you do the thing, it feels really good. The reason I recommend writing a book is because it really does feel incredible to finish an entire manuscript, even if it doesn't get published. And I say this, I have four books that have not been published that I wrote that will probably never get published. And I feel great about them. It was incredible to create those. When you focus on creating, so writing, sharing your work, you really get out of your own head and you get into a flow state. And it's hard to think, do I belong here when you're wrestling with character arc or you're just focused on creation? Fourth, I want you to take credit for what you do. After you do the work, make sure that you acknowledge that you did it, right? Not, oh, I haven't hit 10 books yet. I'll let myself feel good after I reach that number or sell 100,000 copies or make a million dollars or whatever. The truth is, no, you won't. You will not feel good then if you continue to delay giving yourself credit. You will just keep raising the bar and you'll miss the entire point of doing this. Now, I'm not saying brag. But I do think most of you, if you're listening to this, if this resonates at all, there is room for bringing the facts into play here. Try saying the facts. Someone says, how are you? I'm great. I just finished the draft of my new novel. Maybe your Instagram bio needs to say, I'm the author of four books, right? 
Something that comes up a lot for me, I will ask my current and previous clients to share their news in my coaching newsletter. You know, got a nice readership. People like to click on the links. They like to go see what people are doing. And a lot of times they'll say, oh, it's not that big of a deal, right? Oh, it's not a major publisher or I self-published or I haven't sold that many copies yet. I want to offer you, if this at all describes you, even if we've never worked together, it is a big deal to write a book, period. 80% of people want to do it and less than 1% will even finish a draft. Far fewer will even publish. It is a big deal. So don't say you're not a big deal. You are. Of course, the most important place you can take credit is in your own head. Do you take stock of what you've done? Do you write down your success in a journal or a planner? Do you tell yourself you did a good job? Do you, and I think this one is huge, do you pause long enough to celebrate when you've done the thing? Whether it's, I don't know, with a glass of something bubbly or, or taking a day off? Whatever it is, I want you to make sure that you are observing what you have done and giving yourself credit for it. It's really important. So fifth, and arguably the most crucial point on this list, is cultivating self-confidence. I know that self-confidence and confidence are often used interchangeably, but I'm going to tell you that there's an important distinction between them that will probably help you a lot in terms of cultivating self-confidence. They're both important, but self-confidence is the key to getting over imposter syndrome, and it's also how you find the courage to go do what you want to do, which is required for reaching your goals. So I'm going to give you definitions of self-confidence and confidence. Self-confidence is a feeling of trust in one's abilities, qualities, and judgment. I'm going to give you my own version here. It is the ability to have your own back, even when you don't know you can do the thing. Confidence, on the other hand, is described as a feeling of consciousness of one's powers or of reliance on one's circumstances, faith or belief that one will act in a right, proper, or effective way, the quality or state of being certain. Only one of those two terms is synonymous with self-trust. And I think that's the difference. Confidence is the belief that you're able to do something because you've done it before. It's based on past experience. Essentially, it's evidence-based. Self-confidence is the willingness to take risks and take action, even if you have no idea that you'll get the result that you want, and then you have your own back no matter what the outcome. So as an example, if I have given hundreds of keynote speeches or even dozens, I'm going to feel confident in my ability to go up on stage and give another one. If I've never given a speech before, but I'm willing to give it my best, knowing that it's not going to be as good as the 25th time I've done it, and I'm going to feel proud of myself, even if I stumble over my words or sweat through my blouse, which I will, that is self-confidence, right? There's a difference. Self-confidence isn't based on experience. It's not about knowing everything is going to turn out amazingly. It's about loving and even liking yourself enough to take a risk and go for what you want. I love self-confidence because it empowers you to make your own choices and validate your own ideas instead of waiting for gatekeepers to say it's okay or choose you. And the funny thing is that ups the odds that they will. Now, that is really important because with few exceptions, goals are usually things we haven't done before, at least not in the way we are now attempting to. That's why we call it a goal and not a habit. Self-confidence allows you to have the courage to do the things that will help you reach your goal, new things. 
But even more than that, if you care about your own opinion most, fitting in or being seen as belonging, it just doesn't matter quite as much. I'm not saying it won't matter at all. We are social creatures. But it's going to matter less, which makes it easier to continue to take action. Now, next week, I'm going to talk more about how to foster self-confidence. This is a big one. So I really want to give it the space it deserves. For now, here's what I want to ask you. How would your life change if you cared about your own opinion most? And if you really had your own back, what would this week look like for you? While it may not be in the DSM-5, imposter syndrome is real, and it can resurface at times even when you do everything that I've mentioned here and more. Because there are a lot of pervasive societal forces that do convey the message, especially to women in marginalized groups, you don't belong here, or you only belong here if XYZ. On top of that, you have a human brain. And one of the ways that your human brain tries to keep you safe is by having thoughts that it believes will create safety by making you take less action. If you keep doing what you've always done, it's safe because it's familiar. But I want to tell you that you have a right to take up space in the writing world, no matter where you are at in your journey. Remember, and this is really powerful for me and a lot of my clients, there is a reader out there, probably way more than one, waiting to read what you have to say. On a related note, if you want to be part of a truly phenomenal community of novelists who will have your back and, yes, help ease any imposter syndrome you may be experiencing, I encourage you to apply for the Career Novelist Mastermind. As of the week of January 15th, we are more than half full, and this is already shaping up to be such an incredible group of writers. I do not anticipate offering this mastermind again in 2024, so if you've been waiting to join, now is the time. And if you have any questions, email team at evenbetter.co. That's dot C-O. I'll put that in the show notes too. Thanks so much for listening and happy writing. For more resources on creating an even better author career, including free webinars and the You Should Write a Book newsletter, visit evenbetter.co. That's dot C-O. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to leave a brief review. If you already have, thank you. And thanks for tuning in.